0: As we have discussed in the previous, we've learned uh, a lot about the construction of the book of Psalms, and we've learned about these different categories, and we've learned about the purpose of these different categories. Now that we're done with that, we're going to take a deep dive into specific Psalms. So we are picking back up with uh, Psalms 27. I do realize there might be someone who um, wasn't there for the very, very first lesson. This is prior to the four, week, four weeks ago, uh, where we talked a little bit about uh, the book of Psalms, um, and we, in particular, Psalms uh, 27. And we've titled this Holding On to Hope because Psalms 27, that is a really a prevailing theme. It's very strong throughout Psalms 27. Um, and we're gonna get right into it. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Even mine enemies and my foes came upon me to eat up my flesh. They stumbled and fell. Amen. Now, Psalms 27, uh, now that we're picking back up, We're going to take a deep dive, a deeper dive into this uh, particular psalm. Now, the author of this particular psalm is David. So if you were guessing that it was uh, David writing this one, you would be correct. David is the writer of this book. You also learned several weeks ago that the book of Psalms is divided primarily into five books. We also said that this five-book division of the Book of Psalms, and we won't go into what those divisions are. I invite you to look at the uh, to download the past recordings to get that information. But the uh, Psalms 27 falls into the the division that would be book number one, Amen, of that five-book order. We said that those five books also uh, mirror the construction of the Hebrew Torah or the Pentateuch which is the first five books of the Bible. So for study purposes, the book of Psalms is also broken into a five-book structure where they classify the books of, uh, or the, this, the, uh, all of the individual Psalms according to their type. Now, one thing that we also uh, learned is, is that in this classification with the five-book structure, amen, there are subcategories and as was explained before there are many many subcategories so and it really just depends on um you know how you're studying and who is doing the study some will break it into um, um more subcategories than others and we gave you seven sap subcategories in the first three lessons um, uh, that we did at, uh, concerning the overview of the book of Psalms. And then in that fourth and final lesson, the one that we did last week over the book of Psalms, we added actually an eighth category. And that eighth subcategory for the types of Psalms was that of prophetic. Well, we're not going to get into the prophetic Psalms as the Lord leads us. We will perhaps do that. But Psalms 27, as far as its subcategory, it falls into the category of the uh of lament or psalms of lamentation okay the theme of the book of psalms in particular chapter 27 or the 27th number of the psalms which is also uh can be referred to as that um the uh the prevailing theme in psalms 27 is really a declaration of trust amen and that's very important because we're gonna deep dive into that. Now, Psalms 27 is part of the lament or lament or lamentation uh, genre of psalms or classification. And we said there's seven in total. Now, the subcategory of, la- of, of lamentation or the lament psalms, lament psalms, is the largest category of the psalms. So out of the seven or eight rather, Um, subcategories of the book of Psalms, the Psalms that are designated as lament are the largest group. They literally make up about one third of all of the Psalms um, in the book and there's 150 total. So one third of that 150 total fall into that category of of lamentation. Now, what is this? Lament or or, uh, lamenting, okay? Lamenting is a major, major, major theme throughout the Holy Scripture. And that's something that if you take a notes, you want to make note of. Lamentation songs or or lament or lamenting period. In its essence, it is a major theme throughout the Holy Scriptures. And it is particularly strong and particularly present in the book of Psalms. We also have a whole another book dedicated. You have the Book of Lamentations. So, um, and and it's pretty easy to, to tell what that falls under, but that isn't the only place. The Book of Psalms and the Book of Lamentations are not the only locations in the Bible where you will find lamenting going on, okay? Now, to lament, what is that? To lament is to express, or it is an expression of deep sorrow grief or regret so think about that for a moment lament what or 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 lamenting is to express deep sorrow grief or regret amen now this is a major theme throughout the bible because now that you know what the definition is now what that you know now that we know what it means to lament. If you were to pause right now and you would just kind of run your mind over the scriptures and what you've known about the scriptures, think about the prayers that you read of David. Think about the prayers of Solomon. Think about the prayers of the prophets. Think about the different prayers of the different patriarchs throughout the scripture. Think about just all of the different prayers in general that you've read in the scripture. And if you do that, amen, you'll notice that a theme starts to emerge. What is that theme? That there are quite a few prayers and dialogues in the scripture with God where the writer is expressing some sort of lamentation, some sort of deep sorrow, some sort of grief, and some sort of regret. Now, the Psalms of Lament are beautiful poems or hymns that were meant to express the human struggle and anguish of the heart, amen. Psalms of lament, we're talking about what they are. They are poems or hymns that, or uh, 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 prayers that were meant to express the human struggle and the anguish of the heart. And it doesn't just stop there, but they also were meant to express the intense emotions that the people of God experience. Both Israel in the days of the Old Testament and the church in the days of the New Testament and continuing on through today. The the Psalms of lament were meant to capture all of that. Um, And and what's wonderful about them is, is that in them, They outline or they make known problematic situations to the Lord, and then they show forth a request from the person who's lamenting for the help of God. Amen. Psalms 27 falls into that category because it is when we read it, and you'll see these themes emerge as we go through Psalms 27. But you'll see the problems being laid out in the book of Psalms, chapter twenty-seven. You'll see the issues. You'll see the heartache. You'll see the pain. You'll see the sorrow. You'll see the problems that the writer was dealing with from the very beginning, or from the outside outset of the book of Psalms. So, and 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 because the Psalms, as we said in previous lessons, were also meant to be sung, all right um you don't just have these a situation where the psalms are being laid out but you also have a situation where the psalms are literally being sung to God the writer is expressing or the congregation would be expressing how they felt to God in song and it adds a different dynamic because usually when we have a problem <laughs> we're not used to singing about it but we're used to just complaining about it but but the book of psalms adds a different dynamic to dealing with our problems because i think all of us can attest to the fact that uh, when we have problems no we don't really normally break out into a song and into a dance in order to express express our sorrow or our grief or our frustration or to outline a problem we're not used to to singing about it, but in the Old Testament and in the Scripture, and as the Lord outlined, because we gave scriptures uh, before in the la- in the previous weeks that gave us instruction on how to use the Psalms, and we learned within the New Testament that the Psalms were designed for us to make melody in our heart. For they were so they were we they were designed for us to use and to speak and to sing um, on our own personal level. But we were but they were also used or they were also designed for us to use to teach and illustrate truths of God to other people. So there was a twofold purpose of using the book of Psalms, okay? They're for yourself, self edification, but they're also useful for edifying and for enlightening our brothers and sisters. And that's something that we that we learned. We learned how to use those particular psalms. But in the Old Testament, when they used these psalms, or in the Bible days, when they used the psalms, gr- grief was such a big part of the life, and it is a part of ours as well. Nobody likes to grieve, but grieving is unavoidable. Grieving is not always over the death of, or the, the physical loss of someone. You can grieve uh, for many different reasons, you can, ha- you can you will have anguish, you will have hurt, you will have disappointment. I'm going to have those things. It won't always be because I have lost someone who's near and dear to me, and it won't always be because you've lost someone near and dear to you. But you live life long enough, and bef- and guess what? You and life are going to be at odds at some point. What does that mean? That means that there are going to be some days where that are better than others. There are going to be some days on this road, on this journey, where things just don't line up the way that you want. Things are going to happen. Some of those things, brothers and sisters, is going to happen to you. And then some of those things is going to happen to those that you know. And regardless of whether or not it's you being the recipient or it is someone that you know or have heard of being the recipient. Life has a way of throwing things at us that impact us regardless of what side of the fence we sit on. Whether we are the recipient or the bystander, the person looking on, life will affect you. And what the book of Psalms does is that it shows us a way to express life's hurts, life's problems, life situations in a way that is acceptable to God now we know that we can come boldly before the throne of grace and we know that we can come and we can out when we can just lay it out on the line and I don't know how you feel about it but if you're listening this morning I hope you are glad about the avenues that God has given us and the permission the Bible tells us that we are to come boldly before the throne of grace. We can bring our petitions and we can let them be known. I am glad that God has an open door policy in that he allows us to come to him with whatever the situation is. And I will pause for just a moment for a kind of a segue into this. I'm gonna ask a rhetorical question here and, and I just want you to just think about it. No one, I don't want you to answer, but I just want you to think about it. Where are you going or who are you going to when you have problems? When the things of life come up, when pressures start to hit and you don't have no control, you can't do a thing about it and you can't stop it even if you wanted to. Things are going beyond your uh, capability to handle or to do something about where are you going? Who are you taking, who are you confiding in when you have problems? When you have things that go wrong, Are you running to those that cannot help you? Do you have someone in your circle that you have confided in, that you confide in regularly when things are going down or things are not happening the way they should be happening? And is that person advising you or admonishing you according to the scripture? Brothers and sisters, I will say this. You've got to be careful about the company that you keep. And you also have to curate the company that you keep. What's that mean? That means that, listen, you got to determine, you got to evaluate who can do what in your life. Listen, everybody that you have in your life, everybody that you may know is not necessarily qualified to give you spiritual instruction. And brothers and sisters, there are many of us who run into unnecessary problems, and get bad spiritual advice, why? Because when we have problems, when we have situations, instead of taking it to the Lord uh, in prayer, or taking, and when we say taking it to the Lord in prayer, that could also mean taking it to those whom God has designated, those who you know hear from God, instead of taking it to the avenues and the channels that God has made available to us, We take it to people who are absolutely unhelpful. And I will submit this to you today, that you may just find that things start to turn around in your life if you would start taking life to the one who can do something about it. Don't go try to fix it on your own. And stop confiding in everybody else, especially those who cannot help you. You've got to learn. I have to learn to take what I'm going through to the Lord in prayer. Now, Psalms of Lamentation are designed to give you and me an avenue of expressing the deep sorrows or hurts that we face in our life. This was true for Israel and it is true for the church. Amen. The psalms are designed for you and I to use. This is why it is important, it is imperative that you are familiarizing yourself with the Psalms. Not for the sake of just, just know, no, just knowing it. That's not what it's about. You got to use God's word. The psalms are meant to be used. So what happens is, is that in the psalm. They represent all areas of life. This is why I've said it before in previous lessons. I'll say it again. There is a psalm that you can use for every situation. There is a psalm that covers every area of life, and it is God's plan. It is God's desire that we use them. Sometimes we don't know how to come to the Lord and express what's going on. Well, guess what? God knew that you was gonna have trouble expressing how you really feel. So what did he do? He gave you lamentation songs. What What are the, what, why God? So that it would illustrate how to constructively take a problem to the Lord, amen. You can't come to the Lord with a problem blaming God for everything. See, that? that's an example of coming to the Lord the wrong way. When you got a problem, you can't come to the Lord blaming everybody else. No, you can't do that. You can't can't come to the Lord with a problem that you created, offloading that on him and taking no responsibility for yourself for the mess that you are in, for the mess that I am in. Listen, we can't come to God like that. When you read the Psalms and you read the Psalms of Lamentation, you don't see that kind of mentality. Yes, you will see problems and issues being brought up before the Lord, but you will also see loan ownership of those of those problems. So in other words, if the writer had involvement in it, or if it was, or if what he was doing was a result of something that he had already done, you see that come out in the lamentation. So the Psalms, the lamentations, not only are they, they these the they these poems or hymns, or um, which are also prayers that were meant to be sung. And not only do they lay out the problematic situations and issues, circumstances, not only are they designed to express human struggle, anguish, uh, heartache, pain, and just any other intense emotion that you can think of, not only are they for all of that, but they're also meant to be sung. Now, the Psalms of Lament, okay? Though they were written centuries ago, the Psalms of Lament are actually timeless. They're not old. They go beyond just being old. They are timeless. Because they still deal with issues that we face today. They still deal with issues that we run across today. They deal with the issues that are central to life or to the life of believers and to the whole community of faith as as a whole. There is a Psalm for every situation. When we talk about the Psalms of Lament, which Psalms 27 is, Lamentation songs come in two flavors or two varieties, okay? There are community Psalms of Lamentation. And then there are individual psalms of lamentation. So there are, these, there are these two flavors or these two categories in which the psalms of lamentation fall into, community and individual. Now, what is a, what is a community psalm of lament? Community psalms of lament deal with situations on a national level. They deal with situations of national crisis. They describe problems uh, faced by all of God's people. So, Psalms of, Psalms of Lament or community Psalms of Lament, they deal with those issues that are not one offs. They're not just unique. It's not just this. This this unique problem or version of this problem that I and only I am facing. No, Psalms of lament would be uh, Psalms that lament over issues that affect all God's people as a whole. An example, you know, of this type of uh, an example of this type of Psalm would be Psalms twelve. It's an example of an of a community lament, and I invite you to turn. Your Bible's to that Psalms 12. Amen. And when you get there, what I want you to do is I want you to look at verses 1 and 2. Psalms chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The Bible reads, "Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases; for the faithful fail from the earth, from, from among the children of men. They speak vanity every one with his neighbor." With flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak. That's a lament. That's a lament. That phrase, those, those two scriptures, that is a that is a lament, and that's part of what makes Psalms 12 a psalms of the of lament. When you look at it, okay, it's a community of lament, it's a it's a it's a community psalm of lament because it is expressing sadness over something. That affects everybody. What is he expressing sadness over? He's expressing sadness over widespread sin. Look at the language Help, Lord, for no one is faithful anymore. He's outlining the problem. He says, though, he tells us that basically those who are loyal have vanished from the human race. That's what he's saying. Another word, another description that he uses, he, he tells us how that everyone lies to their neighbor. He tells us that they flatter one another with their lips. And he says, but, but deep down on the inside, they harbor deception in their hearts. That's a Psalm of lament. And he's covering a issue that is, that affects not just one person on a single level, but everybody is, is affected by that. If you take that very Psalm, Psalms 12, looking at those scriptures, verses one and two, you can come up with with examples of that that are relevant today. You can look and see widespread faithlessness, amen. You can look out and you can see how there is such a lack of loyalty. People who were supposed to be on your side or people that you thought you would be able to count on and those who reassured you that they were that they would be there and that they would help out. How many times have they dropped the ball? How many times have, though they even intended, maybe they intended well, maybe they meant well, but how many times even those who meant well have you found they themselves have been unable to hold or keep their word? So there's this lack of loyalty. Everyone lies to their neighbor. You don't have to go that far to find somebody lying about something. You don't have to work that hard to see that. That's so, that is so prevalent in today. It's so easy to see people who flatter with their lips. How many times have you run into a situation and you see somebody who uh, they just try to butter you up or, or butter somebody up and you know they have no good intention. They're simply trying to get whatever it is that they want. Got no intention of being faithful, no intention of coming through, no intention of being loyal. They're simply talking a good game. They're talking the talk, but they are unable to walk the walk that is required for that type. Of communication and then how many times have you run across somebody and discovered that they that they pretended to be sincere they pretended to be a friend but in that heart there was deception and usually we find that out when it's a little bit too late those that's a Psalm Psalm 20 Psalms 12 rather is an example of a community Psalm of lament the second type of psalm of lament is that of the individual psalm of lament. Now, these types of, of lamenting psalms address various isolated troubles, Amen. So to make it plain, they address problems faced by one member of the people of God, okay? So it's the one-off situations. It's that thing Um, that has happened to you. It's not that it has never happened before, okay? But it's just that you are in a situation that right now there isn't really anybody else in there with you right then and right there. It's isolated to, in other words, it can be isolated to something that you have done particularly. Now, I wanna give you an example of that because this is really good. Now, and a good example of that is Psalms 86. So if you got your Bibles and you should have your Bibles, turn to Psalms 86, 86 number of the Psalms. And I want you to look at verse number 14, okay? Because this, this verse here in Psalms 86 is part of what makes this particular Psalm of Lamentation fall into the category of of an individual and not a community. Verse 14 of Psalm uh, 86 says this, "O oh God, the proud are risen against me. Notice the language. They are risen against me. And the assemblies of violent men have sought after my soul and have not set thee before them. So here it is, you have the Psalm writer. Listen at the, at the language because this is what he's expressing in Psalms 86. He's expressing that arrogant foes or enemies are attacking him. That's what, he's, that's what he's talking about. That's what he's trying to get across. He's not talking about, he's not saying that they're attacking everybody. The enemy might just be attacking everybody. But for this particular Psalm, the issue that he's dealing with is on a personal level. So he's saying, Lord, they're attacking me. He says, ruthless people are trying to kill me. He says they're after me. He's not saying that after mama, daddy, uncle, brother, and just listen. listen. <clears throat> the devil is after everybody. Bible teaches very plainly that he is, you know, like a roaring lion. He's just walking around seeking whom he may devour. So the devil is after everybody. He the devil absolutely hates God's. People, Why does he hate God's people? Because he hate God. And he hates everything associated with God. The devil can't stand the fact that God chose you. Every time he thinks about it, it burns him up. Every time he contemplates the reality that God Almighty has chosen you, and me and has rejected him, you got to understand, brothers and sisters, that take the devil to a whole nother level. He gets mad all over again. The devil is not your friend. He does not mean you well. He is not trying to hook you up. He is not going to help you. He is only going to ever tell you those things that are going to get you at odds with God. Why? Because he is is at odds with God But the psalm writer in psalm 86 Here he lays out A issue he says The ruthless people they're trying to kill Me he said They have no and they're doing it why Because they have no regard for you So he's saying God they don't care about you And because they don't care about you They are after me Now listen the devil is After everybody in their times Where we were praying For the whole of the Christian community or all of us who walk by faith we who have been water baptized filled with the Holy Ghost but listen we who have been saved according to what the Bible says and if you don't know what that says you need to read the book of Acts chapter 2 verses 38 matter of fact you can start at verse 37 and just continue on through the rest of that chapter you only have a few more verses after that um, um that come after that but that'll give you and tell you exactly what you need to do to get right with God. Amen. Now, assuming that you have done that and you are right with God, yes, the enemy is going to be after you and me. But they're going and there are going to be times where we're praying for the the, the 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 church as a whole. We are praying for God's people as a whole. But brothers and sisters, you got to learn to pray for yourself as well. There is a time to pray for everybody else. And then there is a time to pray for somebody else. The Psalm was meant to be sung. And this Psalm is no different. Psalm 86, also meant to be sung. But as I told you, and as we learn, the Psalms are not just poems and hymns, but they are also prayers. And when you read the Psalms, you are learning or seeing a glimpse of how the people of God are able to approach or should approach God when you are besieged by the enemy one scripture tells us you know that when the enemy comes in like a flood that the lord will lift up what a standard against them the standard simply means that god's gonna lift up a rally point it's like placing a flag in the ground and then calling all troops to rally to that point in other words it is a point where we're gonna make a stand and the bible teaches that okay that when the enemy comes in like a flood, he will lift up a standard or a rally point. He, that's what God will do. But you have to, but, but that requires us to recognize that the enemy is coming in like a flood. You have got to stop. I have got to stop and look at what is happening when things are going sideways. Now, not everything is because you have sinned or I have sinned, or someone has dropped the ball. Absolutely not. The devil is busy just on GP. So whether you've done anything or not, there are gonna be times where you gotta understand some of the things that you're facing. Guess what? It ain't just because you've done something. No, it is because you are a soldier in God's army and you are experiencing spiritual warfare. Don't ever forget, that there is a war that is going on. There is a battle that is raging across this world for the souls of men. God has given everything that is necessary for us to be victorious, but that has not stopped the devil from antagonizing the people of God and trying to pick off as many stragglers as he can. Who are the stragglers? Those who are wishy-washy when it comes to the word of God. Those of us who are playing church, those of us who wanna read the word but we don't wanna do the word, talking about we holy because we read the ho- read the word. You're not holy because you read the word. You're gonna only be holy by doing what the word says. Glory to God, we are only gonna be right By obeying what we read, this is why, this is why Revelation, Jesus tells us not to just be hearers of the word, but we gotta be doers as well. And that theme is prevailing throughout scriptures. So we have this individual psalm of lament, amen. And in this individual psalm of lament, David or the writer is laying it out to God. I'm in trouble and folks are after me. And there are times where we have to recognize that, Lord, it's me that's in need of rescuing. Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. Now, you have Psalms number 27, verse 1, up on the screen before you. Everybody uh, should be able to see that. Amen. And the Bible says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now let's look at that first, uh, the first section. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? So David starts Psalm 27, which is also, if you haven't guessed it by now, or you weren't paying attention, It is also a psalm of lamentation, amen. Psalms 27 starts with a declarative statement or sentence, amen. Now, what do we mean by declarative statement or sentence? A declarative sentence, brothers and sisters, or statement is usually seen as an assertion of fact, amen, a declarative statement or sentence is usually seen as an assertion of fact. Therefore, the purpose of declarative sentences is usually to express statements of fact. So to make that plain, when you declare something or when something is declared, what is meant by a declarative sentence is usually seen as an assertion of fact. What that simply means is is that when you make, when when something is declared or or in a statement is put out there, a a declarative statement without saying this is true, without saying this is a fact, when you put something out in a declarative manner, the way you put it out, declaring it, making this, this sweeping, this statement, it gets assumed that whatever it is that you are saying is true, and that's what that means. It's a declarative sentence that is usually seen as an assertion of fact. It gets automatically assumed that if you're making this statement, that that statement is true, okay? For the most part. So in other words, when a, when a declarative statement is made, it, it, um, by default, and before folks start fact checking anything, Before you start uh, breaking down and examining, because it is a declarative statement, it usually gets assumed that it is true. Therefore, the best uses of declarative statements, really, is for those things that actually are true. So in other words, you shouldn't be going around declaring lies. Amen. I shouldn't be going around declaring falsehoods. Why? Because when a statement is declared and is made in a declarative manner, I'm making a declaration of something, the default response to those who I am declaring it to is to normally accept whatever it is is being said as true. So that means there's a level of responsibility that we have or those who are making declarative statements that we've got to make sure that what we are saying is both true and is accurate, why? Because people are going to, there, you will have those individuals that are just simply going to take you at your word. They are going to assume you are right. They're going to assume that you are true. This is why I tell people all the time, listen, when I'm teaching the word and I'm, and, 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 and I'm sharing the word, don't for one minute, you at all, get so comfortable. That you think because Brother Walker is sharing it with you that it must be true. You, brothers and sisters, have best check everything. When we give you these scriptures, look up those scriptures. That's why we do that. So that you don't have to rely on me. I didn't die for your sins. And I couldn't die for my own sins. I needed somebody to rescue me. You needed somebody to rescue you. And if you ain't saved, you need somebody to rescue to rescue you. And the only salvation, the only savior, is the Lord God Almighty. He alone is true. Don't assume that anybody teaching you, I don't care who your pastor is, I don't care who your teacher is, it don't matter who that is, don't you ever take what somebody is telling you when it comes to the word of God at face value. It is your responsibility, it is my responsibility to take that word and know it for myself. So much so that guess what? If I never or if the man of God or whoever the teacher is never covers the Bible from Genesis to Revelation in its totality with you, meaning they don't have a lesson for you over every single scripture, if they don't go over every detail of the word of God with you, if they have not taught every subject, if they have not covered every topic in the word with you, guess what? You are still on the hook for yourself for knowing what that word says, I am on the line. I am responsible for myself for knowing what the word of God says, whether my pastor preaches it or not. Mm-mm. That is on, God puts that on you. God puts that on me. I, you, we are responsible on an individual level for knowing what the word of God says. Amen. We're responsible, and that is something that we, we're not gonna get away from. So with this sentence, with that this declarative sentence, it's assumed that the topic of this sentence is going to be true. So therefore, the purpose of these sentences is usually to express statements of fact. So if you don't have, if, listen, if you haven't fact-checked and you don't know what you're talking about, please, ma'am, please, sir, please don't go around making statements as if they are true, no. Because you're gonna have to give an account of that you don't want to be responsible for false doctrine or any falsehood that somebody might have because as a result or gain as a result to listening to you now the declarative statement is should be used when you're expressing something of fact and it so happens that in this instance in psalms 27 verse 1 that is exactly what we see now i want to give you an example Another example before I just deep in we jump into that. Um, look at Psalm, look at Exodus chapter 3, verse four, 14. Exodus 3, 14. It's an example of this of a declarative statement. And in this, this declarative statement, you have God declaring something to Moses. What is he saying? He says, I am that I am. That is a declaration of fact. God, God says, "I am." Okay, He He's, he's giving His identity. Moses wanted to know. Okay, Lord, listen. I, all right, you, you you got me. You want me to go go to Egypt, and you want me to 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 work Your works, and you want me to speak on Your behalf. You want me to do what You tell me to do. But but, but God, we I kind of got a problem here. When I get to, to 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 Egypt, and I and I start talking amongst my brothers and sisters, and I start trying to take up the reins of leadership. When I step to the forefront to lead these these people and and to give them instruction and 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 tell them what to do as if they gotta listen to me. Lord, they're gonna want to know on what authority. They're gonna wanna know who gave me the right. They want to know what on, on, on what grounds am I taking a stand for this? On what grounds am I telling them that you need to do this and you need to to to, to do that. And I'm gonna stop right here for just a moment. What grounds are you standing on when you're sharing the word of God? When you're telling somebody what to do? When we are instructing our kids? When we are admonishing people? You know, in our lives, what ground are you standing on? Who's your authorization with the things that you're that you're saying? Are you just talking? Just to be talking? Are you just coming up with things that you want people to do? Is it's is 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 your motive something other than what it should be? Or are you standing to declare and to share the word of God? Is God your authorization? So Moses wanted to know, who am I going to tell these people? So God makes a declarative statement. He tells him, and I am, he said, God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. That's a declarative statement, but it is also a statement of fact. God says, I am. God is all that he is and all that you need and all that I need. God says, I am. Another example of that would be Mark chapter 14, verse 62. God declared to Moses, I am. And because Jesus is God, that's what the Bible teaches, and we'll deep dive into that one day. We'll get all into that. That is a wonderful, wonderful study. Although, if for those of us who uh, who attend, um, who are listening, who attend um, uh, Christian Life Center, um, Pastor uh, Nathaniel Haney has been talking a lot about that. So I do invite you guys to to tune into that uh, to that broadcast, both on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday nights. He's really been actually talking about that, but. But we have in Exodus, we got the, we had the example where, where the Lord told Moses, he declared, I am that I am. And so, and he told him, go tell the people that I am have sent thee. Now, Jesus is God, and he makes actually that same declaration. And in Mark chapter, um, chapter 14, verse 62, Jesus answered and he said, I am. What's heavy about that is, is that that same phrase is, you know, which is rendered in the Greek, is the Greek translation um, Um, Or um, from was translated actually it's the Greek translation from the original Hebrew and it literally means the same thing So when Jesus was saying I am here in the New Testament It was the exact same equivalent or the equivalent or the exact same wording or it meant the exact same thing That's probably a better way of saying it It meant the exact same thing as what was meant that we just read in the book of Exodus chapter 3 verse Uh, verse 14 he was saying i am that i am jesus said in mark uh 14 verse 62 he says i am and ye shall see the son of man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven that phrase i am was equivalent so those are declarative uh statements amen now in psalms 27 okay We'll get back to Psalms 27, verse number one. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? David declares in this scripture two facts concerning the nature or the attributes of God. Now, when we say attributes of God, what does that mean? That means those characteristics or those qualities that belong only uniquely to God. That's what we we're talking about, okay? Um, he uses or declares two facts concerning God, amen. And the facts that he declares is based on his experience with God. He uses the word my. He says, the Lord, the Lord there is Yahweh. So he's using the covenant name of God. He's saying, the Lord is my light he qualifies, so he's not just making a statement of facts, of two facts, but he's saying that he's come or derived, he came to this conclusion, or uh, uh, um, based on his own experience, that's when he says my light and my salvation, that's taking personal ownership or identification with it, when he says he's my light, okay, that means that there's some experience going on, that this statement is based on Something that I have experienced its not just true, but it's uh, not only is it true, but it has proven true or shown itself true in my own life. And that's the way the truth of God is. That's the way the word of God is. The word of God is absolutely true. Glory to God. I'm glad. The Bible says, tells us that every word of the Lord is pure. Amen. The word of God is absolutely true. But not only is it true, but when the word of God finds place in my life, meaning I'm using it, meaning you are using it, not only is it just true overall, but I get to behold the trueness of that in my own life. So now it's not just true because, you know what I'm saying? It's not just true based on the fact that God said it, and that's enough, and that's actually all that you need. But now it's even all the more so true because I've experienced it or I've experienced God for myself. In other words, he took that true truth and he brought it to life. He took what was true about him and he manifested it in my life. Glory to God. So David declares two facts about, uh, concerning the nature or the attributes of God. Amen. And then what David does, and those attributes are both light and salvation. Amen. But then what David does is, is that he ends it, and this is what's heavy about it. He ends this declaration with a question, but the question is actually rhetorical. So it's not really meant to be a question that you are supposed to answer when he says, whom shall I fear? Okay. It's not, he's not asking that question because he actually wants you and I or the reader to answer it. No, the question here is actually Uh, more on the rhetorical side. Why? Because it's a question that's really meant to provoke consideration from the reader regarding the facts. So the question is really there because it's meant to cause you and me to stop and go back to the statement that preceded the question. And consider that thing. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The question was there to provoke the reader to go back and think about what was already said. Now, why would he want you to do that? Reason why he wants you to do that is because of this. The question doesn't really need you and I to answer it. Why? Because based on the declaration that the Lord is light and that he is salvation, because God has those two qualities, because that is absolutely true of God, amen, glory to God, because it is true, because that statement is absolutely irrefutable, The answer to the question is obvious. The answer based on that declaration is that of simply there is no one to fear. See, the declaration that the Lord is light and salvation is so strong and so powerful that that declaration is the answer to the question. So he asked, and because he's already given you the answer. In other words, because God is light and salvation, it's not possible. It doesn't leave room for the answer in this context or in this in this scripture. He doesn't leave room for the answer to be anything else. You can't come up with anybody else based on the truth that God is light and God is salvation, the answer to whom shall I fear is gonna always be obvious. As long as God is light, and as long as God is salvation, there will be nobody that you need to fear. Glory to God. There will be nobody that you need to turn, duck, and run from. As long as God is light, as long as God is salvation. And the word of God tells me that he's from everlasting, to everlasting. He is God. The word of God tells us that, that, you know, that, that, that heaven and earth, they'll pass away, but it's not his word. His word is going to remain. The word of God tells you that, that God is the same today as he was yesterday. And as he was yesterday, and as he is today, he's going to be that forevermore. The word of God tells us that he is the Lord, our God, and he changes not as long as God is light and as long as He is salvation, and He's gonna always be light and He's gonna always be salvation. There will always never be anybody that you have to be afraid of. God is light and God is salvation. Glory to God. Now, aren't you glad that God never changes? I don't know about you, but I know that I am. I am absolutely glad that God never changes. God is light and God is salvation. Next week, brothers and sisters, we are going to deep dive into what does that mean that God is light and God is salvation? What was was God talking about? We're just gonna make our way through Psalms 27. This is what God has given us and so we're going to do a deep dive into Psalms 27 and get everything that we can possibly get as God gives us permission uh, out of Psalms uh, 27. Out of Psalms uh, 27. And and the prayer is is that we're going to be able to use this. So I want you to make sure that you tune in for uh, next week. I want you to come ready. I want you to come hungry because we're going to learn a lot about God. And we're actually going to cover. We're covering a subject that we actually don't really talk that much about, but it is so wonderful that it is worth a deep dive into talking about some of these these qualities of God, these attributes, so to speak, of God. We know he's omniscient and omnipresent and all of these different things. We know about that stuff. But some of the things, characteristics of God that don't always get as much light, (laughs) for lack of a better word, uh, enough attention on it is that of the quality of God, that he is both light and that he is salvation. It's more than just a statement. It is all, it is literally interwoven into the fabric or who God is, light and salvation. So next week, we're gonna get into that. It's going to be a uh, wonderful, wonderful study. Why?